When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 102, and we are recording on October 17th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome. Hello. There's my Delilah voice, if anybody wants to check that <laughs> up on the, on the bingo Get your bingo card. cards out, folks. <laughs> Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> Anyway, what are you reading, Jen? I I just started this morning The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. My library hold came in yesterday. Um, the insiders were talking about it. So I guess the I, I haven't I've only read one of her books and it wasn't the one that mentioned this, but I guess she has this like theory about how people respond to expectations um, and you are one of four things. And I do love a good sort. So I was (laughs) like, well, clearly I need to know what thing I am. Um, So I just started it. So far, it's like... It's interesting. I feel a little I feel a little hesitant about it, but I'm not sure why. I think I might just not like my diagnosis. <laughs> or I don't know. Anyway, it's interesting. It's interesting. But it's I like when you get sorted into the wrong Hogwarts house. I know, no, right? This quiz is well, wrong. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. But you get to see the beautiful thing about Hogwarts sorting is that you get to decide ultimately. Like the sorting hat takes into account your preferences. Whereas people like trying to psychologically sort me do not in fact, often are like, it's not what you think you are. It's what you actually are, um, which like gets me a little riled up sometimes. But it's interesting. It's interesting. What about you? Um, I just started Of Mess and Moxie, which is by Jen Hatmaker. She's a Christian, kind of Christian living-y sort of author who I've read before and really liked. But um, her, was I think it was last year or the last year or the year before she uh, came out in the, not came out, but in the evangelical community revealed, I guess, that um, she is in complete support of the LGBTQ community, which in evangelical circles is like a huge big deal. She got ostracized, all the Christian bookstores pulled all of her books off their shelves, um, et cetera, whatever. And so this book it, like was written during all of that. And so I was just really curious to see about like w- what about her theology has changed um, since experiencing a little bit of marginalization, like nothing like people who are actually marginalized experience, but coming from that community, that's, uh, you know, where my hip, my like faith background is from. I I understand um, the kind of stuff that she dealt with after she made those kinds of statements. So it's just curious, you know, just curious. Do you know Um, what's interesting is that um, I just finished, I also finished last week, the Brene Brown braving the wilderness. And she talks about Jen Hatmaker. Like, I guess they know each other and there's a little interview from, from Jen Hatmaker in braving the wilderness about this. So that's interesting. Yeah. um, Jen Hatmaker and Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle Milton are like buddies. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's too good. um, (laughs) I know. And Jen has a podcast. I think it's called of Mess and Moxie or something, or For the Love of Moxie or something like that. Um, and Br- uh, Brene Brown and Glenn Doyle Melton were both on it, and they were really great episodes. So, uh, yeah, I like it. I like her. Uh, I'm, I just started it, so I'm, like, not far enough in to have an opinion about it, except to say, like, she has five kids. Some of them are adopted, so she's got experience with kind of, like, the fostering sort of background that I do, um, and that stuff is always really interesting to me. But, yeah, we'll see. Okay, so moving on. 
how the show works. As I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can email your reading recommendation requests to us or drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. And these can be anything from books that you, you know, you need something for yourself, a gift, something for your book club. You finally finished The Martian and want to read a like, we will find one for you one day. Um, just re- <laughs> reread The Martian again. Um, and so, yeah, so send this to us. You, if you email them to us, uh, it's getbookedatbookriot.com. And before we get into, oh, uh, I did want to mention that we might respond to you via email instead of answering your question on the show if it's something that we have already answered um, on the show previously, which, you know, in 102 episodes is entirely possible. Especially if your question is, I'm going to Japan and need job. We have emailed that. <laughs> all of you go to Japan. Why are all of you going to Japan so much? I'm kind of jealous. I know. It's not so fun. Um, okay. Before we get into the questions, I wanted to mention that we are running a huge giveaway on Book Riot for a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. And the giveaway runs until November 26th, and it is open internationally. We will figure out the currency exchange rate if somebody overseas wins and wants a gift card to wherever. Um, so to enter that giveaway, go to bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway, all one word. Um, and our one lucky person will get pulled randomly at the end of November. Okay, and that is it. So let's get into it. Jen will read us our first question. I will tell you about our first sponsor, and then we will get rolling. All right. Our first question is from Holly, who says, I've just finished the latest installment of the Throne of Glass series and have read everything by Sarah J. Maas. I also love most of the whole dystopian YA female-led genre. I love the Cinder series, all the Grisha books, Red Queen, Graceling, etc. I'm 20 and would read a big range of books from pretty much any genre and was wondering if you had any recommendations for similar books that aren't necessarily YA. Uh, a series of an author who has a lot of books of a similar type would be brilliant, as once I found once I find something I love, I devour it. Okie dokie. We can help with that. We we can, certainly. Um, Our first sponsor is a collection of short stories, which is interesting. We don't get a lot of those um, for sponsorships. So yay, put money behind this publishers. So the title is What Counts as Love by Marion Crotty. And this is sponsored by the University of Iowa Press, who obviously is her publisher. Um, The collection is the 2017 John Simmons Short Fiction Award winner. Um, the stories in What Counts as Love touch on themes of like addiction, class, sexuality, gender. The characters are usually uh, young women who are troubled and, um, you know, complicated. <laughs> I don't want to say unlikable because I don't like what that implies, but complicated and true to life young women with real life problems. Um, for example, in the title story, a young woman starts a job on a construction site after escaping an abusive marriage. Um, there's a story called The Fourth Fattest Girl at Cutting Horse Ranch in which uh, the daily life like of, of a residential treatment center for eating disorders um, gets disrupted when a celebrity shows up. Um, so Andre Davis III was, was a judge of this year's John Simmons Short Fiction Award, and he said that the collection is superb and truly moving. It was blurbed by Jennifer Egan, who said that Marion Crotty's bold, fresh, young voice is a welcome addition to the literary scene. Um, her short stories have appeared pretty much in every literary journal you could think of, Southern Review, Kenyan Review, Alaska Quarterly Review, all those kinds of places. So if you're into literary fiction or short stories at all, make sure to go check that out from the University of Iowa Press. It's What Counts as Love by Marion Crotty. Okay, um, so my pick for Holly is the book that I am in the middle of, that's also a bingo square, called The Tiger's Daughter. It's by Kay Arsenault Rivera, and it just came out, right? Yes, just came out at the beginning of the month. And this is an LGBTQ epic fantasy based on Mongolian culture, and it is quite unlike much of anything I've ever really read before. Um, so it follows two young women from their birth 
up until, you know, present day. Um, and it goes back and forth with flashbacks and things like that. Um, and one of them is the Empress of, I, I feel like it's supposed to be like a Japanese kind of um, empire, but I'm not terribly, like the analogs that she's making, I'm not getting all of them. So I'm just letting, I'm just letting it wash over me. I'm, I'm just, you know, being immersed. Um, so one of the characters is, is the young Empress of this big, empire um the other one is a warrior who comes from the steppes which is based on the mongolian culture and they are uh, their mothers were best friends and demon slayers and royalty in their own right they had these two girls who were prophesied to be together and um to slay demons and gods and all of that and it is very like those things that I really like about fantasy novels of, you know, the supernatural elements and a lot of riding horses with hard cheese in your pockets kind of <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. we're going on an adventure, <laughs> lots of lighting fires <laughs> and like ale, except it's not ale. It's like horse mare liquor, which I don't even, <laughs> um, but it's, it's a slow build. It's very much like, um, it reminded me a little bit of the Patrick Rothfuss, what is that? The name of the wind? Is that right? Where it's a lot of like backstory and all of that, um, except stuff actually happens. Oops, I said it. <laughs> uh, and so I am really liking it so far. Um, their relationship hasn't yet become romantic. They're just, they're, I mean, I think they're like 15 at the point where I am in the book and it's very long and follows them up until adulthood. Um, but the, what am I trying to say? The um, conceit I found really interesting and I'm really enjoying reading a, a you know hard cheese in the pocket kind of fantasy novel that doesn't take place in what is essentially the English countryside that's always nice so that's the tiger's daughter by K. Arsenal Rivera I'm gonna need a minute to get over a hard cheese in your pocket <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like that just typifies so it much does, of fantasy though. it does it does um that's amazing okay um my first instinct which I am not going with for the record was to recommend the fifth season by N.K. Jemison because that's like dystopian female-led like amazingness um but we talk about N.K. Jemison a lot so I'm going to give you uh, another recommendation for an urban fantasy series that I just started this year and have gotten really sucked into, um, the first book is Moon Called. It's by Patricia Briggs. It's the Mercy Thompson series. And the main character is a woman named Mercedes Thompson, uh, also known as Mercy, who is a Volkswagen mechanic who lives in the Pacific Northwest. And she also can turn into a coyote, uh, like basically whenever she wants. Um, her next door neighbor is a werewolf. Her former boss at the garage, who she bought the garage from, is like a gremlin, a fairy folk of some kind. Um, she has like a vampire customer. She fixes up his VW bus. It's like all of the, you know, creatures are here. Um, and the thing that I love about this series is Mercy is... She's she's like she actually has friends. There's so <laughs> many urban fantasies with prickly lead characters who are like terrible at being a person with other people. Like they're prickly and they want to do things all by themselves and like that's great, but it's really refreshing to have a main character who like understands the value of working with other people. Mm -hmm. She knows her strengths and like when she thinks she can do something by herself, she goes off and she does it, but she also knows that like sometimes she's not going to win unless she brings in the cavalry. And it's not like a big sacrifice for her to lean on other people. She just like she does it when she needs to. Um 
And she's also like, she is also very stubborn and very smart and like very, you know, her survival instincts are solid, um, probably because she's part coyote. Um, and I don't know, it's just really, I, I just really love them. Um, if you continue in this series, uh, trigger warning for book three, um, there is a rape scene that's really horrific. Um, the, the books do get darker as they move along, um, but if you can hang with it, it's, I, I'm fine finding it really rewarding. Uh, so that, again, is Moon Called by Patricia Briggs, excuse me, which is the first book in the Mercy Thompson series. Okay, question two is from Chelsea, who says, when doing some cleaning, I found dozens of American Girl doll books and was struck with nostalgia. I loved these books growing up. I still attribute these books to my deep, with my deep love of history. As I was holding them, I immediately thought to ask you two if you had any recommendations for grown-up American Girl doll books. So suggestions for historical fiction featuring strong and spunky female characters. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I love this question so much. Yeah, welcome okay. to Amanda's Wheelhouse. <laughs> Yay! Uh, so I picked An Extraordinary Union by Alyssa Cole, which is historical fiction and also a romance. And it is so American Girl. Like, it is just so American Girl. So the main character's name is Elle. And this takes place during the middle of the Civil War in Richmond, Virginia, where I happen to be sitting. Uh, and Elle is a former slave, and she has joined up with the Union Army working as a spy. And she has an eidetic memory, so a photographic memory. Um, and so she's, you know, on various and sundry missions for Lincoln to defeat the Confederacy. And the hero in the book is named Malcolm. He's a detective for Pinker uh, Pinkerton's Secret Service, which was the precursor to the FBI. And so he is working undercover in the Confederacy as as a Confederate soldier. So when they meet, she thinks that he is a Confederate soldier um, who is a guest in the house where she is uh, undercover as a slave. And he thinks that she is a mute slave. Um, and that through various, um, you know, spy stuff, they discover the truth about each other um, and join up in a common cause to defeat a particular plot that the Confederate army is brewing to get, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Ironsides, but to get the Ironside ships uh, out to sea. And so there's like, you know, there's love and romance, there's history, it's very dramatic, but there's also spies and uh, espionage and um, really interesting analysis of racial tensions because Malcolm is white. His family is, are, are Irish immigrants. Irish? Scottish. Irish. Maybe Scottish. I don't remember. Malcolm uh, the, is generally a Scottish name. Yeah, and the English, I was going to say the English really persecuted his family, but that could really be either. The Scottish right, or the it Irish, could be. So I, don't, I don't really remember. Um, so he's white and she is not. And so obviously their um, romance has a lot more problems than we would have now, <laughs> not just... The, um, the fact that he's a undercover Confederate soldier, but hmm. she's also super smarter than him. I mean, she has a photographic memory and is a functional genius. Um, and she is just the spunkiest. She takes no guff from Malcolm. She takes no guff from anybody, which for a black woman in the South in the 1800s, ugh. anyway, I just love it. And it's the first in a series. Um, I have the second one around here somewhere, but I haven't started it. But as most romance series, it's not the same characters in every book. It's like side characters get a new plot in the new book sort of a thing. But um, you can continue reading about what did you? What was the words that she said? Uh, strong and spunky female characters in in America in the 1800s, which is great. So yeah, that's an extraordinary union by Alyssa Cole. Cosign and also shout out to she's in a new collection of short romance stories called Hamilton's Battalion. That is, as you might guess, <laughs> yes. set during the Revolutionary War and featuring people who interacted with Alexander Hamilton. So you know. 
note to selves, seek that out. Um, I'm pretty sure it came out today. Um, okay, I love this question. I I didn't read the American Girl doll books, but there was another series. And it wasn't Dear America, but it was something like that. And I have this very clear memory of, like, a young girl in New York who, like, you know, gets to ride a velocipede in her bloomers. Like, it's all of that. Like, <laughs> I, I remember it so clearly. I wish I could remember what series it was. But anyway, my pick for you is the uh, the series that starts with Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart. It's the Cop Sisters series, K-O-P-P. And it's based on a true story of one of the first female deputy sheriffs in America. And um, the first one is about this woman named Constance, who is, like, super tall. Um, she is not really interested in getting married or, you know, keeping house for a dude. Um, and she and her sisters have been living together in their family house, sort of, like, isolated from the rest of the world for about 15 years. Um, but then one day they're, like, out running errands in their buggy, because that's how you run errands in, in the oldie times. Um, and a guy in a car, like, a belligerent dude in a car runs down their buggy um, and it turns into like this whole sort of war because they are suing him for damages because they take no guff um, and he is like un he is like not having it um, and so the local sheriff is trying to like help, help her um, and protect them and, and get a conviction but it's really hard because this silk factory owner guy runs the town um, and so there's like literal gunfights and like battles and you know physical fighting and also like you watch Constance and her sisters like go up against these powerful men in, a, in you know the early 1900s um, and it's, it's all based on a true story it's great uh, so there's also like a cool sort of subplot um, about the family and that I will not spoil for you. But yeah, it's it's so it's got like a lot of great sisterhood stuff and then a lot of great action. And it's all based on real stuff, which is my favorite thing about it. So that's Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart. OK, next question is from Jill from Belgium. Hooray, international listeners. Um, who says, I've read Mary Doria Russell's The Sparrow this year, and I loved it. I also read both of Becky Chambers' Wayfarer's books, and I loved them as well. Do you have any recommendations for quote-unquote soft sci-fi books? Uh, this, is, this is the question. What do you got, Amanda? <laughs> okay, I picked The Wanderers by Meg Howry, um, which probably is more Sparrow-ish than it is Wayfarer's-ish. Um, but this is, it takes place in the, if it's not present day, it's very, very near future. And it follows four um, astronauts who are going to be the first humans on Mars. Uh, Helen, Yoshi, Sergei, and the other one who, no, there's only three. There's just three. Um, it was just three of them. And so they are um, going to Mars via a private company that's uh, like Elon Musk's kind of company. Um, and so they have to spend 17 months in a sim out in like the Utah desert um, that will, you know, simulate all of the problems that they may or may not encounter on their way there because it's going to take them 17 months to get from Earth to Mars. And so while they are, that's what, so the book basically covers like their time immediately before getting in the simulation, like as they're selected for the mission, then the sim, and then a few days after. Um, while they're in the sim, they start to not really know, especially Sergei starts to become confused about whether or not it's actually a simulation. Like he has a couple of reasons to believe that they are actually in space. Like they are on a space shuttle headed to Mars. Um, and that, um, the company 
that is sending them lied to them about what they were doing in order to, you know, whatever, for their own purposes. So this is very literary, which I know is a, a vague, nebulous kind of term that no one can really define, um, But which is why I picked it, because it's science fiction. Obviously, they're going to space, and it's a science fiction in the same way that The Martian is, where like all of this science is very much in the news and will probably be familiar to most of us, especially if you read a lot of books um, about space travel, or modern space travel, not like future space travel. Um, but it's it's like... A few ticks off, <laughs> like it's a, it's a, far enough in the future that it's the science and the technology will still be impressive to you as a reader. Um, but it is mostly about the interior lives of these three astronauts and also the interior lives of their families. Who, um, you know, being the daughter of or the wife of or the husband of somebody as ambitious and successful and brilliant as an astronaut who's heading to Mars causes a lot of personal complications. So you get into the heads of their family members and see the effects of their lifestyle on them. Um, and all of the characters are just so fascinating and weird and smart and like funny in their own ways that are often sad. Um, but like getting into the brains of astronauts who are stuck with each other in a space no bigger than most people's, you know, like living room for two years, um, takes like a level of imagination that I just, I was, I found it very impressive. I will warn you that the ending is very vague. Like you're going to be asking questions throughout this novel that you will not get answers to at the end. Um, so if that's the sort of thing that frustrates you, I would skip it. But if you can hang with that for like the good writing, then I think you'd really like it. So that's The Wanderers by Meg Howery. I did love that book also. I did too. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. The ending did bug me, <laughs> but I, I still, I got over it. I got over yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, yes. Well, yes. Okay. I know <laughs> I we can't, can't really, really talk like, about it, um, but yeah, it's so good. And I also love how there are side characters in that book aside from the astronauts, which like gives it this whole further depth. Um, anyway. So I picked Provenance by Anne Lucky, which, as you may remember, last week I think I had just finished it, and I was saying it is the closest I have come to the reading experience for Becky Chambers' Wayfair books. Um, it is so fun, which I was not expecting. Like, her ancillary series is amazing and thought-provoking and really readable, but, like, I wouldn't call them, quote-unquote, fun. But Provenance is super fun. It's about a young woman who is a foster child, or I guess adopted child? Mm, it's it's nebulous, like, what how, how the legality exactly works in this, you know, alien society. Surprise! Um... Anyway, she is the adopted child of a local, you know, mucky muck. Um, and she and her brother have been sort of pitted against each other for their whole lives to, like, prove who's the best and who's going to inherit, you know, sort of the, the power position in the family. Um, and she has cooked up this crazy scheme to find um, these, like, lost artifacts from her planet. Her planet is super concerned with um, these sort of mementos, and that's where the provenance comes in. Like, oh, this is from, you know, like, this person from our history stood on this piece of tile, or this piece of paper was present at the signing of this treaty, that kind of thing. And there are these artifacts that were lost, um, were quote-unquote stolen a few years back. And the person who was accused of stealing them was sent to prison. And she's, gonna, she's paying somebody to break this person out of prison. And then she wants to, like, have them tell her where the things are. This is her crazy pants scheme. Like, it's actually not a very good plan. Yeah. Um, and things do not go as planned. Surprise! Um, and so... <laughs> So there's like crosses and double crosses and there's like 
spider mech creature alien things and um there uh, there's also a murder uh of a visiting um alien like diplomats and in the meantime there's this big like conclave going on about whether or not um sentient technology can count as a like a race of beings in the planet which is what hooks into the ancillary justice series um so there's a lot going on like there's multiple layers of politics and family politics and intergalactic politics but at its heart you're following ingre who is the main character around and it's she's like she's smart but she's also a little hapless sometimes like there's a really great scene where she kind of saves the day like by hitting someone with a shoe you're just like what this is so fun um but also gives you feelings which is my favorite combination and uh so yeah i just i found it super enjoyable um and and just so great there's also an lgbtq love story which made me real happy um there's and there's all of the you know sort of signature lucky gender fluidity and pronoun shifts which is really great too so that is provenance by ann lucky it's super great you guys all right. Question for us from Angela, who says, My recommendation request is for my seven-year-old son. He recently read Ghosts by Raina Telgemeier, sorry, and then made his way through the rest of her work with Sisters, Smile, and Drama. He's read all four of the books over the course of the last week and would like to find some read-alikes, preferably that are part of a series for him to read next. He's read all the books in the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series, Captain Underpants series, and several of the big Nate books. Thank you in advance. Okay. Um, ah, yay! My boys are six and a half, so have are at a similar reading age. Um, so I picked something that they have recently loved that is a long series. Um, so there, there's a lot for your kid to get into, and it's the and it's like seasonally appropriate. The the series is called Eerie Elementary, and the first book is called The School Is Alive. <laughs> it's by it's by Jack Chabert. Chabert? Chabert. C-H-A-B-E-R-T. It'll be in the show notes. Anyway, um, and so it's about a boy named Sam who is selected to be the hall monitor his first day of school. His two best friends are Lucy and Antonio. Um, and when he is working as hall monitor, he realizes that the school is alive, as the title would suggest, um, and is out to eat him. Um, his he Nobody believes him. Lucy and Antonio don't believe him, but then he has a run-in with the janitor who is like, the janitor who is old and like, crotchety and weird and mysterious and turns out that he has been the caretaker of the school for this whole time um, but he's too old to keep the school at bay anymore and Sam as hall monitor must save the day um, and like the school comes alive during their school performance of Peter Pan and like the auditorium tries to eat the kids it's all it's like lots of fun it's not I mean my kids are very kind of overly not overly but my kids are really sensitive to scary stuff and they love this book so much so um if it sounds like it's maybe too much for your kid I think it's probably not like it's more goofy kind of humor and it does have illustrations and it's very similar to um the Captain Underpants books like that comic style illustration um so there's lots to like laugh at and shenanigans going on Antonio carries a lucky peanut butter sandwich at all times like it's just really funny um and then there are seven or eight books in the series so that's uh the eerie elementary is the name of the series the school is alive is the first book I picked the chronicles of Claudette by Jorge Aguirre and Rafael Rosado um they are a little more fantastical than the Telgemeier books but they have a female main character and they are super fun um 
Um, I think they fit into that sort of Captain Underpants spectrum, but like a little bit older. Uh, and so the first one, oh, they're all called something beware. So like the first one is giants beware. The second one, I want to say, yes, it's dragons beware. The third one is monsters beware. Um, and they're all about a girl named Claudette who fights all of these monsters. Um, so in the first one, she really wants to slay a giant, but her village is like too safe and quiet. So she and her best friend Marie, who is an aspiring princess, and her brother Gaston, who wants to be a pastry chef, um, embark on like a super secret quest to find a giant without parental permission. Um, so they have to go find and defeat a giant before their parents like figure out that they've gone off on this adventure. Um, and the art is really enjoyable and the stories are super fun and they're just really, they're just so fun. Um, super, 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 super fun. And I think that there are, there are three of them. Yes. Three of them currently. Um, so that will be, oh no, the third one doesn't come out until 2018. Well, they're still writing them. So hopefully, hopefully <laughs> there will be more in the future for your son to enjoy. So again, that's the Chronicles of Claudette by Jorge Aguirre and Rafael Rosado. The first one is Giants Beware. And now it is time for our second sponsor, which is 36 Questions That Changed My Mind About You by Vicki Grant. This is interesting. I remember hearing that this book was coming out. So there was a... I, there was a study that um, got talked about in the New York Times in the Modern Love column. I remember reading this column about, like, they did this study where they paired up random strangers and gave them 36 questions to ask each other that would, like, provoke intense feelings of intimacy between the two strangers. So this is a contemporary YA um, that explores the interactions between Hildy and Paul, who are two random strangers in a university psychology study, and they have to ask each other these 36 questions that are engineered to make them fall in love. Um, so the book is told in the language of modern romance, so texting, um, I am, all that good stuff. It also has sketches um, from Paul. So this, uh, it's a clever high concept YA that will make you think about <laughs> trying to find your own stranger to ask 36 questions of. Um, and, uh, and it, the book uses the real 36 questions, which include things like what is your most terrible memory? Uh, when did you last sing to yourself? So serious and a little bit silly. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's a really interesting concept. I'm excited to see it out in the world. Um, and the book has already been sold in 90 territories, which is kind of bananas. That's great. Uh, so that is 36 questions that changed my mind about you by Vicki Grant. And the next question is also me. Okay, this is from Sonia, who says, I'm looking for some sweet romance to dive into. I'm not much for the genre, but sometimes you just need something to squeal about. Truer words, Sonia, truer words. Uh, preferably something LGBTQIA, although not so much about coming out or some or such as a major plot detail, something light but sweet. And if the couple are non-male, that would also be a huge plus. All right, Amanda. Okay, I went with a young adult romance um, because light and sweet, that's just where my brain went. So I picked Georgia Peaches and Other Forbidden Fruit by J. Robin Brown. Uh, and this is about a girl named Jo who is um, 17 or I think she's a senior in high school when her father, who is a radio evangelical preacher, remarries. And they move from Atlanta, where they lived, to Rome, Georgia, which is a much more conservative town. And him and his new wife ask Joanna to 
quote unquote lie low to basically get back in the closet for her senior year um, because for a lot a lot of reasons mostly because they're scared for her safety um, because Rome is a very conservative Bible Belt town and they don't know how people are going to react to her being out um, and also because her family is like. Like, they have good reasons and they have terrible reasons. So, and I just won't get into the terrible ones because who cares? Anyways, she reluctantly agrees because in exchange for that, her father's going to give her her own radio hour on his show um, where she can kind of reach out to other teens um, in the community who might be struggling with their identity. So she is pretending to be straight. She, like, stops wearing her Riot girl t-shirts and cuts her hair and all this kind of stuff. I mean, so she pretends to be straight. Um, But then she meets... Mary Carlson, two first names, because Georgia, um, who is a new friend at school. She's like a golf star and is blonde and, you know, Georgian and all of these things. And they become really, really close friends. And Joe, of course, starts falling for her. And she thinks that there's a chance that Mary Carlson might, might be interested in her too, but she's not out. And she is like openly involved with one of the football guys. Um, And so it's, you know, both of these girls kind of go on a journey to accepting themselves and each other. And um, the relationship, Joanna's relationship with her family is a really fascinating side uh, plot point. But it is very much about Joanna and Mary Carlson and their really, really, really sweet romance in Georgia, which is just like, such a great setting for a, a wide lesbian room. It's like, it's just, it's like heartwarming. They're so nice to each other. And like, oh, I want to pinch cheeks. That's that's the kind of like romance I'm talking here. So it's very, very PG, um, but deals with a lot of really important things. Uh, Joanna's a great kind of punk rock character and I like her a lot. So that's Georgia Peaches and Other Forbidden Fruit by J. Robin Brown. I picked Out on Good Behavior by Dahlia Adler, which is not PG for the record, (laughs) (laughs) but it's very sweet. Um, It is the first, or no, it's the third in a Radley University series, but I hadn't read any of the other ones and it didn't bother me. Um, And it is about a girl named Frankie who is bi um, and who like, you know, she gets around like she is, she's, she has a lot of casual flings and that's fine by her. Um, And it's fine by her friends. Like nobody shames her, which I appreciated a lot. Um, But lately, she has been sort of eyeballing this woman, a girl in the university named Samara, who is her friend's roommate, if I'm remembering correctly. And um, and they are unsure what her you know, sexuality is like, it's nobody knows yet. Um, and so, cause they're just getting to know Samara. So Frankie is like, you know, finds herself kind of really into this girl, but she's not sure if the girl is into her. And also her roommate is like her, well, her friend is like, you stay away from my roommate. So, <laughs> so, but they start to talk more and it seems like they're becoming friends, but Frankie's like, is she attracted to me? Like there's a good chunk of the book where Frankie's like, I cannot tell if this girl is interested in me or not, which is new for Frankie because Frankie is used to things being very simple. Um, and so Sam does eventually like display, like, no, really, I am interested. Um, but Sam is not looking for a fling. And so Frankie decides that she's going to try monogamy, but like, 
it involves 30 days of not having sex. So, like, they can, like, hang out together and, like, do other things. But, like, the goal is to see if she can, like, lock it down for 30 days and be in a relationship that's not just about sex. And it's so, like, she's, like, afraid she's bad at being a girlfriend. It's really sweet and lovely. Um, there is a little discussion of coming out, but it's really not a major plot point. What's much more at stake here is, like, Frankie and what she thinks she's capable of emotionally and Sam trying to figure out also what she wants out of a relationship. And I really, I really enjoyed this a lot. Um, there's, like, moments where you're like, no, don't, oh, you're self-sabotaging. Like, don't do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, but obviously cause it's a romance, you got your, your happily, happy ending and yeah, I just really loved it. Um, I also loved Frankie's friends who I believe are the subjects of book one and two. So I'm definitely going to go back and read others in this series. So that is out on good behavior by Dahlia. Adler. All right. Question six is from Valerie who says I'm writing, requesting recommendations for my 15 year old son. He's a rather reluctant reader, but very much enjoys listening to audiobooks when we take road trips. If we don't finish the audio in the car, he asked me to buy it for him to finish in book form. He mostly likes dystopian novels, preferably with some type of corrupt government. He's enjoyed 1984, Clockwork Orange, Fahrenheit 451, and Ready Player One. Uh, he read and enjoyed The Outsiders. His book suggestions mostly come from what his friends are reading in school. I've tried a few times to pick up books I thought he would like, but haven't been able to find anything he got into. I tried The Maze Runner, The Fifth Wave, and can't remember what else. Uh, any suggestions? Okay. I picked Want by Cindy Pon, um, which takes place in near future Taipei and is very, very Ready Player One-ish, corrupt government um, band of rowdy kids taking on big bad adults who are big and bad. Um, so this is more of like a climate kind of like an intersection of the. It's an analysis of the intersection of like really rampant capitalism and climate change and its effects on um, young people and the poor. Uh, so the main character's name is Jason. He's a teenager. He lives in Taipei, um, and in this society, rich people can afford to wear these like special suits that come with head headgear and face masks that protect them from the pollution and the rampant viruses that plague the city. Uh, most people who can't afford to wear the suits suffer from really bad, um, uh, what, oh my God, breathing, the breathing <laughs> problems. <laughs> what is the word for breathing? Um, so, uh, because of the pollution and usually die, uh, don't ever, like don't live past 40 or they get some kind of virus um, and can't afford the medical care. And so he, he is an orphan essentially and has kind of a found family and some other teenagers from around the city. And one of his best friend's mother is um, a professor and is also an activist in the environment trying to get the government to pass laws that will um, limit commercial companies or corporations' ability to pollute and thus help kind of, you know, save the lives of people who can't afford these really special suits. Um, She is murdered, and the kids figure out that she has been killed by the owner of one of the largest corporations that manufactures these suits and who, of course, has a vested interest in keeping um, pollution legal. So with the help of his friends, Jason kind of infiltrates their lives. He, He... they do that. They have this like elaborate plot where he pretends to be a rich kid. He infiltrates this corporation um, with the special suits. The deeper he gets into this world, uh, the more corrupt he discovers that it is. He also finds himself falling for Dayu, who is the daughter of the guy who owns this big company, um, this like big evil company. And so there's like 
a lot at stake here. They have to solve this crime. They have to bring this company down in order to save their family, friends, and their city, and essentially the world. He's also got this forbidden romance happening, so there's a lot going on. It's got a lot of the same sort of elements as Ready Player One, along with that rebellion against um, really corrupt government and corporate figures. So, And I think it's the first in the series, but it just came out, so he's probably going to have to wait for the sequel for a while. So that's Want by Cindy Pond. I love that book. I know. Yeah. So um, quick shout out to Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. If he loved, if he got through A Clockwork Orange, like <laughs> it, you can get through Brave New World just fine. Um, and I would recommend it uh, to add to his list if he hasn't read it already. But my pick for you is War Cross by Marie Lu which is the first in a series and does have a cliffhanger ending, fair warning. Um, and it just came out this year, so we're going to have to wait a little bit for book two. It is more, um, it's less governmenty and more hackery. Uh, so it's about a young woman named Amika Chen who is really struggling. Um, she is not going to college. She is an orphan. Um, she's like living in this rundown apartment in New York, making ends meet as a bounty hunter, um, tracking down people who like basically bet on internet games illegally um, and helping the police find them. And that's how she makes her cash, but it's not going very well. Um, and so one night there's, there's this one game called Warcross that everybody is obsessed with. And it's a virtual reality and they have like a big opening ceremony that basically everyone in the world like internationally is tuned into. And she hacks her way into the opening ceremonies and like, oops, gets caught doing it and disrupts like one of the biggest like media events of the year um, and is basically convinced that she is going to jail, except for that they offer her a job instead um, because someone is hacking into this game for nefarious purposes and the owner of the company, who's like a very young, handsome man who she is very interested in, um, is trying to, like he needs a good hacker to try to figure out what is going on. So Amika takes the job and now she's like on a team in this championships, but she's also sort of undercover trying to figure out who the hacker is because they're pretty sure it's somebody who's involved in the game. Um, and there are twists and turns that I really didn't see coming. There's also great representation on the page. Um, like there's, you know, characters of color, there's disabled characters, there's LGBTQ characters. Like it's a real inclusive story that is also very action packed. And I just got totally sucked into it. Um, I will say that even though there is a bit of a cliffhanger at the end, the ending is pretty satisfying. You're like, oh, I know one thing. Like, <laughs> thing I know one thing. That's good. I know a thing. And But you definitely want to keep going. So I don't know. I think I think he might dig it. So that's Warcross by Marie Lu. And our last question is from Andrea, who says, I am not a classics quote-unquote reader. I didn't love Jane Eyre. I know. Who am I? Uh, I did like The Awakening by Kate Chopin. Can you recommend another classic or semi-classic to read next? Okay, I went with Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf because it is in the same kind of, I mean, it, make, it makes me feel the same feelings, <laughs> which is not a scientific way of doing this, but here we go. Um, it's the, the, that, that similar kind of proto-feminist literature of, you know, the turn of the 20th century. Uh, they were writing, uh, Kate Chopin was writing maybe 20-ish years before Virginia Woolf, but um, they were thinking about a lot of the same things, about women breaking free from Victorian, uh, from oppressive Victorian sensibilities. Um, their styles are completely different, so it's not going to be uh, as straightforward in a reading experience as The Awakening, uh, but, you know, 
Wolf is not going to be anything like the Victoria. Like it's not going to be Jane Eyre, so you don't need to worry about that kind of wordiness. Um, it's pretty short. Um, I think it, it's got to be less than two hundred pages, um, and it's about Mrs. Dalloway, Clarissa Dalloway, who's a, a high society woman who lives in the UK uh, right after World War One, and it's I think told in about twenty four hours, and it's just the story of her throwing a dinner party. Um, it's stream of consciousness, and you get it from a couple of different perspectives, from her perspective of you know planning and making this event happen. Um, and then also one of her friends who's a veteran who has PTSD, which is unnamed because that wasn't a thing that a word was was not a, a condition with a name back then. I think they called it shell shock. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, it's like slice of life. It's very interior in the same way that the awakening is like you're, you're in the, the, the minds of the characters thinking about their motivations. It's not plot driven. I mean, it's a dinner party. Like nothing happens. They eat food. <laughs> uh, they eat food and have problems. Like that's what's happening here. Uh, but in the same sort of way that in the awakening, the main character has kids in a marriage that is bad and has problems. Like she just lives her life and has problems. Um, so it's, it's a lot, um, it's a similar reading experience despite the style difference, I think. And it's also thematically similar. So I think that if you enjoyed The Awakening, then this um, will probably scratch that itch for you. Or really anything that Dalloway wrote, probably. Jacob's Room, um, maybe, except that's about a male main character. So you might not get the same uh, kind of female perspective. I mean, you won't get the same female perspective. But if you're looking for a feminist read, that's probably not going to be it. But other than that, pretty much everything Virginia Woolf considered or wrote or put pen to paper on is, is going to do it for you. So that's Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. I was trying to think about classics that include a woman who is like not operating inside of society's expectations. And I picked for you The Living is Easy by Dorothy West, which is sort of like a it's she's like a black Becky Sharp from Vanity Fair in the yes. 1940s in America. I don't know what this is, but I'm so here for it. Yes. You, <laughs> you would love this book, Amanda. You need to read it as soon as possible. So this is about a woman named Cleo Judson who lives in Boston in the 40s, as mentioned. She is black. Um, and she is married to a very nice man who makes a good living. But she is out to get all that she can from life however she can get it um and some of her decisions you're like oh boy this is <laughs> this is maybe not going to turn out great um but she's just like indomitable like she is she is a force she is unstoppable and whether or not you're like boy this is a bad idea she is so compelling um and she's just so unwilling to settle for anything less than what she thinks she deserves. And it is about race and it is about colorism and it's about class. And uh, there's a lot of sort of social satire going on. Um, It's very wry, Um, but I just found it so like, yeah, just really compelling and really, um, really sharp in, in the same way. I mean, I am a classics fan and, and I do love Vanity Fair, but I think the wordiness of that might not work for you. So this is my next. And, and also this, I like this book, I kind of discovered it by accident. Thanks to the, um, the uh, the task and the read harder challenge that's like read a classic by an author of color and this was one of the books on the list that was making the rounds and I had never heard of it before and I just can't stop talking about it it's so good and it deserves to be like next to Vanity Fair on the classic shelf um, because it is that like that story of a woman who is just not she's not going to play by the rules she's going to get what she wants um, and you know consequences be damned so that is the living is easy and that is our show. West. 
Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> and that is all I have to say about that. Thank you yep. so much for listening. Um, please go leave us a review or rate us on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier for other people to find. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Don't forget about our giveaway, uh, bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway to enter to win $500 to the bookstore of your choice. You can find us on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen, tell them where you are. I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com and it's Jen with two N's.